All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm uh, Tyler Friel. Uh, it's been quite a while since I sat down with Brad Evans the last time, so it's uh, good to have you have you back in back in the little studio. Man, I'm I'm stoked that this is still a thing. And uh, yeah, you you've made some improvements to your studio. You got a leather couch snuggled <laughs> up next to me. Leather, yeah. yeah. At least we got some dead some dead stuff hanging your on it, right? Big bear hide. Yep, and a bunch of sheep. Yeah, this is. Uh, things are improving up here so yeah what's good how you been been good man sorry trying to take a picture (laughs) oh been good just busy it's crazy how uh i don't know how fast stuff goes man seems like this year's just falling by yeah we're already about to start gaining daylight i was thinking that today in town you know see you know right at high noon the sun's just just hovering right above the horizon. <laughs> yep. No, you got to keep your sunglasses in your pickup truck for about twenty minutes out of the day right now because it's brutal. Actually, yep. that you know the only the only major and it, I guess you can nobody got hurt, thank God. But it was uh, the only like major wreck I've been in and totaled something was three year two or three years ago coming into town right at that bad time on university where the sun is below the stoplights yep. and you can't see shit. Yep. No, I, I know what you mean. Man. Um, so, uh, the draw application just closed. Yep. And we find out in February. Yep. And then we can How? start making plans. Yeah. That's what everyone's kind of, there's been a few people, Oh, what you know? What are you, what do you plan? I can't, can't, make them till Can't you know even though we know it's a donation basically for most of us yeah no I, i'm good with that though because we can like up here we're blessed that we can have world-class hunting season with over-the-counter tags that are free yeah. right yeah so it's kind of it's kind of like a bonus yeah like yeah you know well it's worth some money to go but it doesn't it's not like oh i can't go goat hunting or i can't go sheep hunting or i can't go caribou hunting or moose hunting or whatever else if i don't get a tag there you know there's a couple that it can be pretty tough i mean even elk sometimes you can get like leftover registration tags have you done have you done that hunt um not real i could say i did but not really i was i was um helping out at the lodge on a fognac one fall and got a uh it was like a leftover cow registration tag but i only hunt, got to hunt one day for them and it was in the timber side i i found where where a herd had been milling around but i could never run them down and every time i read or hear or, or listen to any information about that hunt it looks really terrible it can be pretty brutal i think it it looks i bad. think sometimes it's you know just like anything probably sometimes it it's not too bad and <laughs> they're right outside camp and whatnot, but I spent quite a bit of time on a fog knack and, you know, they aren't everywhere. It's not like they're behind every bush, man. Like the, they've got, they do have areas that they like to hang out, but I think it can be a very tough hunt. Huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to, that that's the one tag I don't apply for. I didn't apply for it either. And I, I'm always on the fence, and I think, you know, even if I did draw it, I'm probably not going to hunt it, because I'd rather be be chasing moose. Yeah. Or uh, for the October hunts, I think I'd rather be chasing goats. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's, that's another funny thing, man. Like I always get, whenever I think about it, I get pissed at like, even some of these like, you know, quote unquote premier tag sheep or whatever you have, you know, all cert like 30% of the people don't even go. Yeah. And on one hand, I'm like, I'm come o- on, man. I'm, o- I'm okay with that. That's competition. Yeah. yeah that, that's what I was getting to is on one hand, it's, it's you're pissed because it's kind of a, they're pissing the tag away and you think, oh, well, you know, I could use that tag a lot better and you could, but fact is, is if everybody that drew that tag was a serious sheep hunter there'd be a lot less they'd be given a lot less tags it wouldn't be as good no no i don't have any quarrel with that they can do what they want with the tag they draw if they're going to throw money at it and donate towards conservation by all means yeah so but speaking of that i mean i, I had a pretty good season um yeah. and it was everything was over the counter everything was over the counter and for the I took my jet boat for my to hunt moose, but outside of that, everything was uh, general season and walk-in. Yeah, yeah, that's because uh, come to think, like I haven't, I don't think I've seen you even since really before hunting season. No, we, were, we I, talked a few times, but yeah, in passing. But it was, uh, yeah, I, th- I think I was chatting with you. We were we were getting uh, geared up for the sheep opener. You were getting ready to head down to the toke. Yep. I didn't know where I was going at the time. I figured I was just going to throw a, a dart at a map and then just go yeah. walk into the mountains. But it uh, it worked out well. Uh, and it, I guess even before that, I, well, you had a good spring bear hunt, didn't you? Yeah, it was good. Um, we got to hunt a lot. I mean, I it was kind of a... a I feel bad maybe saying it was a slow year for me. I feel like it was a slow year. <laughs> maybe, you know, I I don't know what to think about that because my impression of being, I feel I'm sitting here at the end of the year being like, man, it was kind of slow, but I don't think I'm going to have a lot of people being sympathetic towards me. You're setting, you're <laughs> like, setting the bar too high. I mean, I got the biggest, I killed the biggest black bear I've ever killed with a bow second biggest I've ever killed with a stone point. Yeah. Got him with a stone point. And then, uh, no, before that I got a goat. I went goat hunting, got a goat, shot a nice bear. I lost a nice grizzly with the stone point, um, which I'm still sick about that. But there's, it's getting serious this year. (laughs) This is going to be, this is going to be some serious business now because it's not, that's not going to happen again. I, I, it sucks because I don't even, there's not even anything I can blame aside from that arrow just went lower than it should have. Everything felt good. Um, it's the price of doing business, when you're, especially when you're using traditional archery gear. Yeah, and that's the one kind of variable is that you can't really practice with those stone points. Yeah. You know, I matched as be- matched up the weights and everything with steel points as best I could, but there's, there can be some dynamics. And it seemed like on the black bear, the arrow went a touch lower than I thought it would. It just happened. You know, know, uh, there's nothing I would take back about that shot. Everything felt good aside from it, you know, telling myself to aim a little, a little higher. Yeah. And it, it, you know, I couldn't have missed that thing's heart by an, an inch or two. But, uh, so that was pretty heartbreaking, but didn't kill him. He was, ba- I had him back on my trail camera 
one time like a week later, but by, you know, by the time you spend, it takes you three quarters of the season to get one shot. You get a lot of time left to, mm-hmm. to try and make, you know, so I think working hard at it, I can almost all, like count on getting one good opportunity. If anything more than that is just as bonus is, is a bonus. Yeah. Well, the, the offer still stands. If you don't get one in the spring, we can always go creep down to salmon street. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, so we'll, that's definitely, it's nice to have some back pocket we'll go, options like that too. <laughs> we'll go jump shoot one. Yeah. That'll get interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I got, uh, I ran down to Southeast Alaska in May and, uh, I got a pretty good black bear, seven footer, beautiful hide on it. And, uh, cool thing about that one. Well, one, I got a, a beautiful bear and, uh, I chuckle every time I think about it because there's this national geographic tour ship or cruise ship <laughs> about a half mile off the shore oh, and man. Uh, they were watching this bear out eating some sedge and i go oh man there's a bear in there it zipped in with the skiff yeah crept down the beach snuck into about 50 yards gave him the business with the 375 ruger <laughs> was that did you head shoot that one no or was that there was someone else that i remember oh they, they were hunting down in southeast somewhere or prince william sound or in yeah, that's another rabbit trail. Yeah. Anyway. No, I got this one. It was uh, um, uh, high lung, low spine, back of the shoulder, and he just flipped over, stuck his feet up in the air, and, and done. was done. Yeah, just bang flopped him. That's That 375 Ruger is bad medicine, man. Oh, I love mine. I actually need to get a, a new stock for mine. I noticed... Uh, because the last time I had really shot it much, I was working up a load and being a baby, using a lead sled, and I think I had a little bit too much weight in there because I just noticed a little bit of my crack forming in that laminated stock, so I need to restock mine. But, man, it's oh, for when you need a big gun, that's yeah. a good a good cartridge. Yeah. No, it's, I have that laminate. Yeah, the laminate stock in mine. I was thinking about pulling that out and sticking a or getting a plastic stock. Even or just getting a, getting a Hogue, yeah, you know, one of them Hogue stocks. It's not. It, I don't need it to look pretty. Like uh-uh. the thing's a, a club. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess if that if I could make any other change, to that rifle maybe put a bayonet lug on it because when you're using that thing, you're you're usually pretty close to stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, and the first three seventy five Ruger I saw was uh, Taj Shoemakers. That was actually, ironically, the first, I met him the first trip, I first time I ever went to a Fognac, and uh, he happened to be out at the lodge at that time, and I've seen, in pictures, I've seen his dad, Phil Shoemaker's rifle, because I, I specifically remembered Taj, what they'd done, they had a, you know, synthetic stock, and drilled into the front of it, under the barrel, and mounted a piece of um, pick rail, Oh, like no with Bondo or, or um, JB Weld or something sticking out of the front of that stock to cl- put a, a flashlight on for if they're, you're, they're having to track a bear in the or they get wind up in the brush with a wounded bear after dark or something like that. No, thank you. Yeah, it'd be uh, <laughs> come, just the bayonet lug made me reminded me of that. Come back tomorrow, man. Yeah. Come back to me. 
come back in the daytime. Which is, you could, you know, I don't you know, I don't know all the legalities of tracking wounded, but after dark, but we'll just leave. We, we can just skip that whole section there. I just, when you said bayonet lug, I was like, oh, yeah, I thought that might be a handy idea, but maybe you don't want to put yourself in situations uh-uh. where you need that. Uh-uh. Got to fight your way back out to your... Nope. Yeah, people have asked me what to do with a, with a wounded bear and how long they should wait. I said, I tell them, go back to the boat or go home, back to camp, drink all your whiskey, <laughs> sleep your hangover off, yeah. eat a big breakfast... And then go out back out in the midday. And they're either dead, cold and dead, or they're gone. Yeah. You know, see, I and I think it de- it depends. There's a lot of, obviously, a lot of variables in the situation. With black bears, I, you know, and specifically shooting them with bows. I guess rifles, you know, there's a lot of variables to take into account. I know with bows... If it's a uh, if it's a good looking shot, I'll say give them fifteen minutes and then go. And there's one, you know, I say <clears throat> that you know it saved us. We actually recovered this bear that I think was not lethally hit because we pushed it fast and ran him up a tree. You know, it looked like a good shot, and there was blood everywhere. Following him, following him, but it was too far forward. Missed missed the vitals got it and you know it looked like a good shot but it was too far forward and uh you know it was like the bear just run, didn't know what happened ran back there 100 yards and laid down and we came stomping along ran it up a tree and and got it you know finished it um bears that i've seen shot there's a couple of them that looked like sketchy hits like far back and high um that type of hit i think is probably if I had to just, it's probably better to leave them. One, one was my dad's, his, his bow limb hit a, hit a tree branch when he shot and hit him high and back. And he ended up, it hit an artery or something. He was only 50 yards away, dead as doornail the next morning. And the other one, we waited till the next day, went to the, and he was still alive laying in the last place we heard him. Hmm. So we were able to recover him, you know, after he started getting sick and, because I think if we'd pushed him, he would have just kept going. And we'd we'd have never got him. Yeah, it's it, it. I've heard all kinds of stories where you know you bump an animal that if you would have left it alone, it probably would have just died in its bed. Yeah. But they'll, you know, you bump them and and then they take off and you never find them. So yeah, so yeah, I you know, I think sometimes it's best to leave them and sometimes it's best to push them, but you never really know. So. I think it depends a lot on a guy, the situation and a guy's yep. personal experiences. Not to say that even hindsight's twenty twenty, and you can always, but you, you still don't know. Like, you know, if you don't recover an animal, you think maybe I should have pushed in there earlier or maybe I shouldn't have, shouldn't have, but you don't really know. It Shit just happens sometimes and you try to do the very best you can. Yeah, that's all you can do. Do the best you can with what you got and, and the that cards will fall where they fall. Yeah. So, so yeah, I got that bear. We took off. Did you get any, any harassment? No, no, I didn't steam up and roll out there as soon as that happened. Yeah. They just, they took off, uh, 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 down the shore and never to be heard from again. (laughs) So, uh, but, uh, yeah, it worked out really well. Tide was coming in. 
pulled into the the beach where the bear was, hauled him over the rail, and, nice. Um, drove him back to town, cleaned him on the dock. Nice. So yeah, that's always nice when you can skin skin bears on the dock. So we had uh, we had kind of some interesting adventures. I, this year was. It, did you run any bad weather when you were sheep hunting? Not, or were you were you far enough? I east think I was far enough east to where we kind of dodged it. Like, as I went in on the seventh. And the 7th and the 8th were nasty, like just raining all day. Not not, not like hunker down weather. You could still do, you know, you could still be out and about, but uh, <clears throat> it wasn't great, which kind of sucked because I was worried. I didn't know when I'd been up there scouting, it hadn't rained in like two weeks or more and it was hot. So I was, you know, obviously a little... I was worried about things I have no control over, <laughs> yeah. you know, like how high is the water going to be, you know, and all this stuff for how easy or hard it's going to be to get into a spot. But no, it was really no big deal. I got a little bit of snow, but it was not bad at all. You guys are, the guys that I've talked to that have hunted that early toke tag. Yeah. It seems like you guys are hunting at, at a little bit higher altitude than, than, what I'm used to or where sure. I normally find rams. It seems sure. like I find them in that, like that Goldilocks zone is between 3,500 and 4,500 feet. Yeah. And, it, and you guys are killing them down there at yeah. 6,500 6, feet. I think you? I, you know, I think, I think for me, you know, across the ranges I've hunted, like, yeah, you know, 3,500 would be pretty low, you know, maybe four, four to 5,500. Yeah. Is, you know, what I, I probably would say guess it at but yeah seemed like it was higher elevation to me i mean i camped at 5300 and i had used you know coming by the tent and stuff and i covered the heads of three different drainages over a couple days like like glassed them hard picked them apart and uh didn't see a single ram up there you know finally found rams farther farther out that drainage but they were all high and i ended up shooting my ram at like 64 6500 almost the top of the tallest mountain within 15 miles yeah you, you know it's it you know i was seeing all these ewes and there it's there at 5800 6000 feet i'm like you know when and usually if you're in country and you start seeing ewes well the rams are going to be up higher but there was freaking nowhere higher nowhere higher from to go <laughs> or be so it was uh it was pretty discouraging there for the first couple of days you know I can't complain too much cuz it was really only two or three days that I was poking around in there and I mean hadn't hadn't covered a ton of country I just expected to see something in in the heads of those three drainages so you know i don't know where they were all at i obviously turned around pretty quick for me but yeah and think it has an interesting way of doing that yeah so many times even even like there's been several where it's the last day's food like the last day you could possibly hunt yeah i've had several you know not just me but your know, guys i'm with like all of a sudden boom there he is and <laughs> After you've been banging your head against the rocks for out of frustration for eight, ten, twelve days. Yeah, no, I I know about that. So I got this hunting buddy of mine, this old retired, worn out. Uh, he was an army first sergeant. Yeah. He spent about half of his career deployed, 
he was the guy I told you about last year that was uh he was a hiker because he hadn't killed a yeah, sheep yeah. yet. And we uh so we set out on a mission to find him a ram this year. And we hiked in uh two of us hiked in early so we can mm-hmm. you know, super light, fast, cover as much country as we could. We found one legal ram and uh or one that we we thought was a good ram and uh our buddies linked up with us the next day on top of the ridge and we said hey you know we we found him he disappeared i don't know where he went thought he maybe disappeared in the alders or something but we didn't spook him didn't bust him had a couple of smaller rams with him and uh and so we're uh, this was on the 10th, couldn't find them, and the weather was deteriorating, getting worse and worse and worse. Anybody that hunted, I guess, the Alaska Range or south this year got to uh, got to deal with that tropical storm or typhoon or whatever oh, it yeah. was that came across from Japan and, and ruined a lot of guys, uh, you know, first week of sheep season. And then on the 11th, we got back on them again, and a few other rams had showed up. And so we... We crept down the mountainside, and we're we're on a walk-in hunt, but we're, I don't know, 13, 14 miles in, mm-hmm. pretty deep in, into the Alaska Range, and uh, crept in on that ram, and JT was able to put it together in uh, one shot with his 257. Nice. And we, you know, guys laying there, he had been hunting sheep for close to two decades and and wasn't even sure he was going to get one we were finally able to put it together for him yeah that was probably quite the relief (laughs) and then that's when things got real interesting there was some more bunch of rams up there on the mountain that were hiding in a cave or something we (laughs) didn't even know they were there and uh we're laying next to his dead sheep getting ready to start taking pictures and rams start squirting across the top mountain and above us i go oh man that's a good one (laughs) I smoked that that thirty seven incher, yeah. and uh, laying next to his dead sheep, and then we kind of realized that we were a long, long ways back. Yeah, what did we w- just do? Type of thing. Yeah, and weather was deteriorating as that typhoon Shan Shan, yeah. and it was. Uh, I, I updated weather on the inReach and I go, oh shit, it's supposed to blow seventy up here tonight, oh. so we can either. We can either hunker down and try to wait this thing out, and I don't want to do that, or we can have turn two days of walking into the one never-ending day. Yeah. And so that's what we ended up doing. It was, I think it was 13 miles back to the pickup truck, and I, uh, and it was terrible. <laughs> it was really, really bad. I think the only reason we didn't get blown off the mountain was because we had so much weight on us. Yeah. Man, I, you know, and that reminds me, I it didn't get a ton of weather, and really it didn't. I mean, the first two days it rained, and on my, like, worst part of the whole trip when I'm limping my four-wheeler out that's not running right. Yeah. You know, it was raining a little bit, but not bad. But hiking, <clears throat> see, because I killed him. It was pretty freaking nice when I killed my ram in the, it was like 5 o'clock or so, something like that, four thirty, five o'clock in the afternoon, shot that ram up on top, and it was like, it was pretty cush. Like, I'd never had any any ram, where, and I had my whole camp with me, where I could set my tent 50 yards from where he died. 
you know, just in the, he died just opposite this, across his saddle from where I was sitting. And there was a nice kind of, kind of a defilade, you know, some of those saddles where they have the peak or what would you call that? The highest point, lowest point of the saddle. You go over that and there's kind of a bump that drops down to a shelf that's a little bit sheltered and then it flattens out and then drops into the drainage below. They had a nice spot like that. So I didn't even bring my whole backpack over to the sheep. I just kind of, and all my, you know, my stuff's all tore apart laying there where I'd been sitting for two hours. (laughs) So I just drug my bag over, flopped it down where I was going to set my tent up, just grabbed my kill kit and my camera and stuff and walked up there and it was pretty cool. But yeah, by the, I was glad I had it up there because I didn't, I took my time, didn't finish cutting them up till about eight and, uh set up the tent and got in there the next morning it was howling though it was blowing hard yeah i was i was even kind of sheltered and some you know sometimes it's not the best practice to set your tent up in a saddle but yeah that's that's the windiest spot i kind of i didn't have any options aside from going way down or and the way i came up was so so rough i was just dreading having to go i could do it but i would have to do it in two loads probably i mean it was steep you know, a lot of a lot of spots were, you know, climbing with hands and feet and knees yeah. and. But uh, I looking at my map, I was thinking, well, the topo says I should be able to get around this peak, and then take another ridge line down and drop back into the same drainage I came up originally. And uh, but you know how topos are sometimes compared to the real thing, but I couldn't see. I woke up the morning, the wind was just howling, and I had to brace that one corner of my tent with my trekking pole. And uh, finally, after the fog broke and I could get around and see that it was going to be passable, packed up and took off. But yeah, pack, what I was intended to get to as I was packing down there, it must have been blowing. I figured 60 or 70 gusting, and it, it was it was sucked because, you, you know, I got 115 pounds on my back walking down there then all of a sudden you get hit one way with a gust and damn near knocked me off my feet a couple times yeah that happened to us as well i think that's my load lifter strap slapping me in the face (laughs) beating in the side of the cheek yeah we uh yeah so it sounds like we were running the same thing yeah so that's what the forecast was it was six it got upgraded to 60 or 70 miles an hour so we thought we got to get to the spruce trees because we can handle the wind but if there's a bunch of if there's a bunch of rain coming with it, that's yeah. like that's a recipe for hypothermia. Can dry, yeah, drive it through, especially if you're trying to hike out, or yeah. and then you get to a point where you just can't go anymore, and got to try to, you, you know, it's either forge ahead or or set up camp, and, and it's even tougher to stay, you know, stay non-hypothermic when when you you're all sweated up and you stop, and then yeah. got to try to get a shelter set up in that kind of weather. Well, we got down to, um, when we hit the spruce trees, we bivvied there for a couple hours, mm-hmm. got, got a little bit of shut-eye, got some water in us, got uh, um, yeah, got some water in us, got some grub in our bellies, took a little snooze, and then we ended up walking the rest of the way out at, with our headlamps at four in the morning or something. Yeah. Terrible, like usual. This is a sheep hunt. It's usually terrible. <laughs> it's not terrible it's not memorable <laughs> yeah, that's that's the truth so some legitimate type two fun for sure yeah that uh that stuff man i 
you know, this year really, really was not, which I'm afraid I'll forget some of it because there wasn't any like major hardships. It was all kind of, was, the worst thing was my damn four wheeler. <laughs> that was the most frustrating thing. You know, it was a fantastic time and it wasn't easy, but yeah. You know, every once in a while, you just, it seems unusual to have a trip without some major catastrophe, not catastrophe is maybe the wrong word, but you know, like some major thing that's just like this freaking sucks. Yeah. Type of deal. Yeah. You know, like the last time I'd hunted the Alaska range with Frank on his Delta tag, packing out of there, geez, that was like the freaking road that never, the trail that never ends, man. The trail We packed a long way, like... I thought, all right, yeah, we're probably eight miles from, oh, yeah, back to the highway, just over that, just over that crest, that hill, we'll be able to see the truck from there type of deal, or see the road from there type of deal. No, it was, uh, <laughs> by the time, you know, we just pushed ourselves so hard, we were, were, we were making it that day, it ended up being almost 20 miles Yeah, that one day. Oh, yeah, oh, boy. Just staggering staggering out to the road where you, you can't take any more you won't let yourself take sit down you because you're a and this is a very valuable piece of sheep hunting information is you never pass up a good like rock to sit on or a cut bank uh-uh. you just because you never know when the next one's going to be uh-uh. but once you get down into that low country there's nothing you know you pick spots to sit on that you can get your your fat ass with a heavy pack back up easier and it got to the point where a there was nowhere good to sit and it's like well if i sit down i'm gonna rigor mortis up and not be able to i mean we were literally like staggering bow-legged i thought the bottom of my feet felt like one gigantic blister you know after you can hunt for for a week 10 days and feel fine but that lat you know you just push it a little too hard with a bunch of heavy weight and they get hot they get hot, and I thought I, I didn't even want to look at my feet. They weren't near as bad as, as they felt, but I, you know, and I get a little. I'm a larger individual. I get a little bit of, little bit of inner thigh chafing, going. So I'm walking bow legged. Yeah. Um, need some body glide. But I have. I take that stuff. You need some and I body think glide. Wore off. <laughs> and some tape for your nipples. Yeah. Like, learn learn from the marathoners. That is a real thing, man. Um, so you guys were hunting the early season tag then? Yeah, we were. And we still got a foot and a half of snow on the 10th. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It had kind of melted by then, but yeah, that was, yeah, that was one of the, that was probably. What year was that? 15. Okay. That's, I had drew late season Delta in 15. Yeah. That was number, that was probably the second hardest pack out I've ever done. It was rough. That one was, the, that sheep was the hardest. And that was kind of circumstance due to inexperience and hard-headedness and heavy old-ass gear. So I have a, a client, he's from Delta, and he drew early season Delta last year. Mm-hmm. And he walked up, he walked up the Gerstle, got way up into the high country, whacked a ram, and uh, the hell did they do? I think they had like left a bunch of stuff back in camp and went over hill and dale chasing the sheep yeah killed this ram fog rolls in start getting hypothermic and uh and so they just started walking and they weren't even sure really what direction they were oh. going 
they ended up a day and a half later they came walking out coal mine creek road jeez so yeah from the gerstle you gotta get across july creek or that's like four major drainages you gotta cross oh yeah so it got foggy and they just got turned around and then <laughs> just kept walking huh? they just kept they just went for it oh they wow. went full send on that one and they figured because i mean it's not a short walk from uh-huh. the high country out to the highway where the gerstle crosses the highway uh-huh. no so they went south up the gerstle to the head up mm-hmm. over all the high country and then went came out west jeez man i thought we were i thought we were pushing it we came where we hit the road was like 10 miles from the truck yeah you know we had to come out a totally different way than we went in the, we, the lesson to be learned from that and it seems like i continue to learn this lesson and the people around me continue to learn this lesson is never drop your pack ever never ever drop your pack like if you got if you have all your shit with you you camp is wherever you're at right yeah so they had to leave a bunch of their gear in there or yeah they they had they came back in after they couldn't just couldn't find their stuff apparently who huh? they they couldn't find their stuff in in the fog or in the clouds yeah. or whatever so i think they they stashed a bunch of stuff and dressed their sheep and stashed that and then yeah and then took off with what they could and just went over over the river and through the woods man then had to go back in and get their get their sheep huh? yeah so i think they're late enough in that late enough in the the non-motorized oh hunt where they where, could take motorized back in there to pick yeah. the sheep up after it opened back up yeah yeah i know I, guys that have done that with caribou in certain yeah you know where you're go in there and just hunt the last couple days of the of the non-motorized walk in there um, and you, if you got the cool enough, cool enough weather or spots to mm-hmm. keep meat cool, shoot, you know, shoot them, dress them, you know, get them stabilized and go out and then come back in a couple days later. To, yeah. Cause those caribou down there on the North side of the range are big. Yeah. They're just, they're different creatures. Um, did you run into many bears this year? No, I saw, I saw one set of grizzly tracks going up the creek i went up and then i saw a sow with two cubs like she i mean she was like five miles or not that far but like you know probably two and a half three and a half miles away but that's all i saw of course i'm not spending a lot of time looking glass in the lower country it's amazing what you see when you look for it mm-hmm. and i i don't know if this but is I, a- I mean i, I as that is funny because i'm like Oh, there's a caribou. Oh, there's another one, another one, another one, another one, you know. And then, oh, there's some bears. <laughs> yep. Yeah, The uh, we actually started looking for them this year because I wanted to see. And I think we ran into seven different grizzly bears in the Jeez. alpine when we were chasing sheep. And the first few, uh, we, we saw some good bears, but we couldn't kill them because it was... Um, it was before the season opened for oh, grizzly yeah, bears. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's confusing. Is <clears throat> Some spots it'll yep. open up August 10th, and some yep. spots it don't open up till September. Yep, yeah. So no, Some spots it's never closed. <laughs> yep, so know where you're at for sure. Um, and we actually had a stock. We were hunting late season, late season Delta, 
and we were putting the moves on a ram mm-hmm. and we we saw this ram from three or four miles out and went on a went on a strike mission to go get this sheep and climbed up through about 1500 feet of alders and and just hell yeah and broke out into the alpine and i look up on the ridge and there's a grizzly bear up on the the top of the ridge throwing dirt and boulders and shit <laughs> down the mountainside trying to eat squirrels or marmots or something and i told brian i said hey go shoot that damn grizzly bear <laughs> and he looks down at his six five creedmoor and he says uh-uh i'm not gonna do it <laughs> And all I had with me was a pocket knife and a spotting scope. Oh. So I was like, "Yeah, that's probably not a bad idea." Which oh, I'd shoot, I'd, I'd shoot a grizzly with a six-five. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. getting, I'm getting <laughs> okay. to that. I'm getting to not, that. I, I didn't mean to jump ahead. Yeah. So, this son of a bitch kind of pressed his luck and forced the issue. We, the bear was on the ridge line. It was good, seven and a half, maybe not quite eight foot grizz, mm-hmm. real. But real pretty high alpine, pretty good grizz. sized mountain, yeah. mountain grizzly, yeah. And so we had to sneak below the grizz by about three hundred yards. We had fair wind for it. Crept around down below him. Brian was keeping an eye on the sheep. I was keeping an eye on the grizzly bear. And I was thinking, you know, I really hope he doesn't look downhill or doesn't, you know, catch our wind or find us. But we we skirted around him, got over the edge of this real nasty ravine. The ram was. 380 yards mm-hmm. on the other side of the ravine we're sizing him up and he's legal i'm thinking you know he's he's good but he's not great yeah like is he he's good and i kill him all day long in a general season unit but we thought you know is he is he worthy of this tag you yeah because it's still early in september we got a couple more weeks i had already cut my sheep tag if he cuts his we're gonna have a real hard time telling our old ladies that we gotta head back out to the mountains right yeah and we heard a couple of rocks rolling and uh and we look into the gully or into this ravine and this grizzly bear had crept over the backside of the ridge spotted that ram made a stalk down the ravine and was running full throttle towards that ram and that ram heard a rock rolling at the last moment and took off into the cliffs headed way up this man. glacier like oh man well there goes your sheep. Yeah. <laughs> Guess we're not shooting that one. And that grizzly bear stopped where the ram was because the ram had bedded and then got sniffing up around, and yeah. sniffing around. He said, you shoot that grizzly bear right now. <laughs> He's like, seriously? I said, you shoot that goddamn grizzly bear. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, he shoots him, double lungs him at 380, 390 yards with that 6.5 Creedmoor, which was... I don't know. I shoot a thirty cal. I shoot a bigger rifle. I thought there was going to be more thump with that little gun. Yeah, they. You know, it is what it is. It shoots really well. It do, it seems like it performs outside of its weight class. Yeah. You know, for for what it is, it kind of is what it is. But it seems you know, it seems like it punches a little out of out of more than what it should or should on paper. Well, um, but. You know, especially like a lot of those, you know, I don't know what bullets you guys were using, but, you know, a lot of those bullets that are super accurate and perform really well, even at yeah. long range. The last, last year's sheep was with a Creedmoor, and I shot him at 465 yards, passed through him. Yeah. You know, I mean, and a grizzly bear, you get both lungs, like, he's dead. He, 
He, he cannot live. <laughs> he, he got both lungs, but it was high on the lungs. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a pass through. I didn't yeah. know at the time. I mean, the, the autopsy later showed that it was a, it was a du- high double lung pass through. And then the bear, he spun and he put one more in him and then the bear ran down into the, into the ravine. Mm-hmm. And my buddy, Brian, he freaked out, thought the bear was coming after oh. us. <laughs> He says, I'm getting low on ammo, and he runs back to the pack, and I'm there with my pocket knife and my spot and scope, and I'm going, I'm fucked. <laughs> so oh, I man. take off with him, and, and we get up into some cliffs, and and uh, and yeah, the bear wasn't coming for us. He was just running downhill. Yeah. He didn't know where we were at. He didn't know what was going on. He just ran and down. and Probably it, piled up pretty quickly. Well, we we gave him about a half hour. And uh, and then we crept along the, the edge of that ravine, and that bear had came down his side of the ravine and across, then up above, kind of like a, a smaller cliff in mm-hmm. there, and made a little, dug out a little perch and was just hanging out there, hmm. and he was still alive. Huh. And so he, he put a couple more into him, like the base of the neck, where his neck meets the shoulder, yeah. and, and that was that. But I thought, you know, he's... It, they fight to the end yeah and well, he was putting himself in a position to where he would be above anything that was coming or going yeah in that ravine that, that kind of that really surprises me i wonder if he had just got his adrenaline up chasing that sheep or something because you know the the kind of the exception i've seen is that i don't know what i'm trying to say from what I've seen is they are not hard to kill unless they get their adrenaline up yeah. and they will soak up stuff like nobody's business. Yeah. You know, so I wonder, and there, yeah, there's a difference. I, I believe that an unknowing bear shot with a bow, like double lung with a bow and good broad hit, you know, like that will kill them every bit as quick or quicker than the same shot with a rifle. Yeah. Um, you know, and some guys, you know, that I've talked to have had more, gotten more of a reaction out of them shooting them with a rifle and seem to have a harder time killing them sometimes. I don't know if that's because the boom and they really know something's wrong as opposed to like, what the hell just bit me type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I guess I could speculate, you know, 15 ways to Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I mean that anyways, I'm not trying to bash the six, five Creed more. Most guys that have them love them and they shoot like a laser beam and i just don't think it's the ideal caliber for grizzly bears no i i would agree uh, i'm gonna with go that. out on a limb there yeah i'm sure there's some some creed more lovers that would argue i mean i i face. love the cartridge and i would say it's it's not an ideal grizzly grizzly yeah. cartridge yeah ralph young would probably if he was alive today would probably not carry a 6.5 creed more onto admiralty you know to hunt brown bears yeah, you know it's it's hard to say. You know, because Roy Roy Randall, the guy that started that lodge out there, he guided for years with a two forty three. Really killed a lot of brown bears with a two forty three. Huh. It, 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 I don't know. At a certain point, it's all kind of situational. I think yep. you know if, if I'm going brown bear hunting, I can handle a three seventy five Ruger. So that's if I'm taking a, if I'm hunting with a rifle, that's what I'm going to take. Because yeah, shoot the biggest gun you're comfortable with and can yep. shoot really well. Yeah. You know, like a three, you know, 
probably on average 300 wind mag is going to give you more forgiveness than especially you know a long range shot like that 300 wind mag is just going to carry a little more ass behind it on a grizzly bear so yeah i don't know i'm not trying not trying to get it all in the weeds on that but uh yeah that just kind of surprised me a little bit but uh, you never know and every bear is different too yeah well and i had i had a I, I shouldn't give Brian too much grief over that because I had a brief opportunity at a real nice grizz at 400 yards and I zoomed in too far on my scope oh. like a rookie. And then <laughs> I said, I was on him. I, I said, hey, yell at him, get him to stop. And he yelled at him that I was off the bear briefly and then he started walking again. I thought, ah, I'm not going to take a 400 yard shot at a moving grizz because I don't want to go root him out of the cliffs. And, yeah. and, uh, and there were some rams, another. This is a different situation, but um, or another hunt like a week or two later, hunting the very end of the the season, and that grizzly bear rolled by our camp, and I I didn't put it together, and then we um, hiked up the valley another mile and a half, and got a real nice ram. Nice. So yeah. that was a special hunt. It kind of all came together. Um, it came together. And I, I wasn't kind of, wasn't even anticipating it all to happen, but, um, it was pretty neat. And we found three nice rams and one real good one up above, you know, in that Delta control yeah. use area. And, uh, I think it September 18th or 19th. Yeah. You guys were getting after it, getting yeah. after it this fall. I remember seeing like, yep. man, getting out again. All right. Just kept killing sheep. Yeah. It was great. And uh, if a guy can do that, you can pile up quite a bit of experience. And you know, that's why, like, you know, it's not I. <clears throat> it's not the same as shooting all of them yourself. But a guy can accrue, like, you know, guiding. If a guy wants to guide for sheep, can accrue yeah. a lot of experience in a pretty short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you got. Did you whack a moose this year? I did not, man. Moose hunt, moose season was pretty disappointing. You know, I, and I hate to do this excuse, you know, use the excuse of, oh, just moose season sucked this year. It was, you know, I, a general consensus. I've heard that moose season was a little off yeah. there, you know, there, I'm sure there's people that this year was their best moose season ever. It's just, and there's people they are still going to get them and do good. Um, it just seemed, it did not seem a, the weather was funky you know, a little bit funky during the rut and, uh, it was warm and rainy, warm and rainy, wet, 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 you know, no, I mean, it's not uncommon to have wet weather in September, but I mean, it was, I don't know how many, like rained like six inches in three weeks or something. Like, yeah, it was, it was wet. And, uh, we still, that for, you know, that first day we were back in there, saw that really big bull and had the issue, the airplane guy and blah, blah. I did find out who that was though. Yeah. Yeah, I went to the, uh, you know, because we he flew, he buzzed us, saying buzzed us. I don't know if it was intentional or not. I know he knew we were right there because he flew right over us like three times, and all this buzzing around. Look, you can tell he's over there looking at that bull. I assumed that bull. Yeah. But uh, couldn't ever read his in number, huh? On his tail, and he was like, you know, maybe, maybe two hundred feet right above us. Is and I see ah, his in number's too small to read. Yeah, and so uh, as soon as I got back to town, 
you know, well, I gave it a couple days. A couple days after I got back to town, went, took a cruise through the old float pond there at the airport and took me about 30 seconds to find that airplane. Huh. So I know who it is. Okay. <laughs> I don't think, you know, and I will say that I, I did not see him do anything illegal. So there's not that, but there, I don't know the guy personally, but I know who he is and I know guys that know him. So there may be a little, little bit of messing with him. Revenge is a dish best served cold. <laughs> a little bit of, 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 of harmless messing with, you know, I'm not going to, yeah, not going to yeah. do anything that I would regret, but yeah, go, go put an open can of tuna fish underneath the seat in his airplane. Uh, I, I would not do that, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So moose season was kind of a bust, man. I, I spent a few days trying to find one with, with my bow here around town my brother-in-law, Nate, he could hunt this spot. It's, technically, it's really his spot. He found it. Um, he'd killed a bull in a couple of years ago. He couldn't hunt in the mornings, so I would hunt it in the mornings, and he would hunt in the evenings. And it's kind of a little power line cut that you yeah. get in there, and they like to hang right around there. Well, I one morning I heard one grunt, but every for like five evenings in a row, he had this bull. He'd go out there, grunt or cow call or grunt and this bull just start thrashing and it, it, it he was would probably another dude back no in there he in saw the him he saw that too <laughs> but that'd be typical but no he saw he a couple times he saw him you know and had him stick his head out at 30 yards but yeah. could never got a shot so it was pretty disappointing but no you know after sheep season that was kind of a a pretty disappointing moose season and then um uh Went and shot a couple caribou in the the Battle of Forty Mile Hill. Oh yeah, I didn't even go do that hunt. You didn't miss out on much. I mean, it was more fun than not because I got to shoot a caribou. Well, I I drove up there after it was all said and done, and there was more red snow than white snow. So it looks like you guys had a hell of a time <laughs> like, up there. It was like Battle of that there Eagle Summit was like the Battle of Wounded Knee. Yeah, I mean, some it was a massacre there. I, I still, you know. I've said it a couple times on the podcast. I don't know how nobody gets gets killed or wounded up there. I don't hunt it. I just I boycott that hunt, yeah. not because I think I'm too good for it. I just don't want to get shot. Yeah, so. I never have. And even you know, we have machines, and we still got you know we got like oh, eight ten miles back from the road, and there's still people in every direction. I was yeah. wearing my. It's the only time I think in my life I've ever wore blaze orange. Oh yeah. No, I'm not going to make it through two combat deployments to get taken out on the steese by somebody <laughs> yeah. trying to shoot a caribou. So you guys can have it. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. I figured I, you know, whether I'll do it again, I don't know. I mean, the whole time I was telling myself this is going to be bad, and it uh, was eye opening for sure. Like to see really, and the sad thing is, is a lot of guy, a lot of people down in the lower forty eight. That's like Orange Army every day. That's normal. That's just how it is. You know, it's normal opening morning a hunting season to sit there and you're... In every direction, you know, not more than five seconds without a gunshot Gee, somewhere. I, I think I'd take up golfing. I'm a little I bit mean, ashamed to say that. I but. don't know. You know, and we are a little bit spoiled, but man, yeah, anyway, that whole that whole mess but yeah and then you were just you were just down in kodiak weren't you 
shooting no, some ducks. No, Petersburg. Petersburg. Down. Oh, see, for the, some reason, I thought you, I thought you went to Kodiak to shoot some ducks. No, my I got a bunch of family in Petersburg, and so I went down, visited my family, and and uh, and went out and shot some ducks and caught some cutthroat. So, oh, nice! Yeah. I need to do that sometime, man. I that's the one thing I wish we had around here was some, was trout. No wild trout fishing. Oh yeah, the cutthroats are. I I remember you know we had them in call, wild cutthroats in Colorado when I was yep. a kid. I remember them being my. Of course, my perspective on the fish I like to eat has changed since moving up here. Yeah. But I remember really liking cutthroats when I was a kid. Those a lot of those trout down there, or a lot of those cutthroat are sea run as well, so they're they're pretty good size. Yeah, and they're very tasty because they're out eating shrimp and yeah and you know anything they can get in their mouth but they're out mm-hmm. in the salt water feeding so they're they're pretty robust trout and pretty they're super pretty so i i have not been hunting moose as long as you yeah i consider myself an amateur moose hunter me too so <laughs> i realize this year i feel like i started to kind of figure it out yeah i realized that i've been working way too hard at it yeah and I, I've always wondered how these old fat guys who sit around camp consistently shoot yeah. moose. It's because that's how you do it. You call it's how you do right. it. It and it's so it's the most counterintuitive thing. You know, like Adam Adam uh, that Weatherby came up and hunted with me. You know, and it was uh, hindsight. Like yeah, yeah the, the, a lot of things were working against us, and it didn't work out. But I'm like, man, I know this is. I know this is driving you nuts. I know this is boring, but I'm like, this is how, this is the most is effective way. Yeah. There's sometimes, you know, guys in certain spots where you, you may have great vantage spot, vantage point right out of camp where you can also do a lot of glassing. Yeah. But man, like it's the most effective way I've seen is just calling and calling and calling from the same spot when get, during that rut time frame. Get on a hill. Get in a tree, get someplace you can see, and bring snacks because you're going to be there a while. Yeah, that was, and it, and it worked. And I realized that I had been trying way too hard for way too long, and I just needed to be patient. Yeah. But apparently, I'm not patient. So, but yeah, I was able to grunt one in after sitting sitting out in the swamp for a couple of days. And yeah. The moose showed up and. It's funny because all of a sudden it's like, man, they're there. And on our on our end, you know, that first day in there, we saw that big bull. And then that evening when they were starting to get moving, heard, you know, had another bull because I had been periodically raking throughout the afternoon. Had another bull. Sounded like he was coming. And then we heard another bull. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be dark pretty soon. We need to push this, you know push at this guy and maybe i was too aggressive maybe would have come in before but it seemed like then you're hearing him grunting and veering off towards where it sounded like that so it could have just been circumstance but after that first night i'm like there's no way we're getting out of here without killing two of them are you cow calling or grunting little bit of both um and i'm no expert moose caller but um i gave up on the grunt i just do my best to sound like a you know, slutty cow. Well, that and that—that's more what I was doing because it was late September. 
And some of the guys that know a lot more about it than me, like have it down almost to the day of like, they will not cow call before say, for example, like the 10th of September. Yep. Cause the cows, you know, it's, and some guys will go by when they start hearing cows, then they'll start cow calling. But yeah, I know like, you know, that early part of the season, a lot of guys not even really grunting much, maybe like some soft, cause there's like a difference in the grunts too. There's, you know, yeah. aggressive, I want to kick your ass grunt, you know, the just like, Hey, I'm here grunt type of, but yeah. got a lot early season guys that'll do really good. A lot of times just some like soft raking. Yeah. And you don't like it. It's the hardest thing to just sit there and trust that it'll work. But if you're moving all over the place, you're a spread and sent around and there's I, you know, there's probably everybody almost, maybe not everybody, but there's a lot of guys that have stories of, you know, calling this one spot for a couple of days and got frustrated and went somewhere else to turn around. And there was a bull right there yeah. where they'd been calling from. Yeah. No, the, uh, I, I just cow call. And I guess the exception of that is if I happen across a bull with a cow, yeah. Then I'll grunt at him and try to start a fight with him. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I just cow call. It projects way farther. It's way louder. It does. Yeah. That's kind of the, you know, someone was critiqued. What video I did about making a, oh, I got, I got reamed a couple of different ways on the, making a birch bark, you know, funnel. Did some purists get after so, you for doing it the wrong way? Oh, well, it was, uh, oh, more of the greeny type. Um, cause it was on it was on my in laws property that I think we did that video, and I just you know, rip ripped a section of bark off the tree, not even just the outer bark. Yeah. And man, oh, you kill a tree to make a video. I'm like, well, a there's only about five hundred billion of these things. Well, that you was know. probably right before you got out your gas axe and chopped it down for firewood, anyways, <laughs> right? <laughs> More or less. Yeah. But you know, and oh, you killed it, and I'm like, yeah, if you rip all the bark down to the wood off it'll kill it how many freaking birch trees do you see driving around you know that someone's peeled a little bit of bark off them years ago and they're just oh, fine. Yeah. Just it, fine you know i mean you, you may not want to do it in the ones in your front yard that you got to look at all the time but yeah let's let's take it down a notch they're they're trees and there's billions of them right there and birch is a pretty fast growing yeah tree anyway um Anyway, so there that, and then someone was that angle, and then someone was saying I sounded horrible, which I'm like, have you ever heard a cow moose? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever heard a real cow moose? Like, yeah. You could see, I've heard him everything from like the prettiest, you know, yeah. to like god awful, like what is that? Yep. Yeah, it sounds like someone's like moaning through a, a megaphone or whatever. Yeah, like that. Like it doesn't even, yeah. And then loud. Some, I've heard some, yeah, and they, they get real loud. Yeah, like you can, when it's that dead calm, you like that cow that was answering us that was with that big bull, I'm assuming it was what she was with that big bull because that's mm -hmm. where the sound was coming from was we first heard her plain as day was like a mile and a half away. Yeah. You know, and uh, some cows I've heard that's just like, <laughs> like all this weird. Yeah. And then that, you know, it's, I've, I, I've heard it's kind of a annoyed thing where they burp kind of, where they're just like, burp, burp, burp. I've never heard that. You never heard them do that? Uh-uh. 
I've heard, you know, I've heard guys kind of theorize that that's like kind of a get away from me type of deal or an annoyed thing. I don't know, but I, all I know is I've heard him make some freaking weird, weird noises. Huh. So it's kind of hard to really screw it up. You know, guys will, I know more than one guy that's called bulls in running a chainsaw. Yeah, running a chainsaw. Because they say it long, a long ways away, that sound like that. You yep. know, mimics the pitch, and they think yeah. it's a mo- I mean, call bulls into camp, chopping firewood. Guys, you know, pounding nails, like building the tree stand. Guys have done that. Yeah. You know, guys, you know, were setting up camp one time, and the wind was blowing their tarp as they're getting it ready. Call that, you know, bull came running into camp. So, yeah, it was discouraging, but I was like, I, pro- I promise this does work. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes it works. But... Yeah, speaking of the old greeny, um, are you, you, you going to grind your axe? Might have to grind my axe a little bit. Okay, um, and I don't. I guess I don't entirely know what I want to say. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. I mean, you may want to cover your children's ears if it gets too heated in here because I've been been pretty pretty pissed off. Um, and maybe there's a couple things. One of them didn't really piss me off, but um, the one that did was, you know, for the listeners, I don't know if, if you guys ever heard of that, that Instagram page, TSD. Um, Snyder had them on his podcast, and they well, basically, and so, so, some of it's pretty rough, like stuff I'd, you know. Anyway, they basically make fun of or call out bullshit in the hunting industry. Okay. Um, just stupid stuff people do on social media and stuff like that so there's this guy and if you don't know you you know go look at at their page and figure it out um you are promoting these guys at yeah the moment. Don't, well you know the one guy you know i don't know um kyle well but uh tanner guides sheep up here and that dude's an animal like okay like those guys are you know, they they talk a lot of shit. Yeah. But no one can say that those dudes aren't killing machines too. Like they, they produce. They produce, you know, they and they you know, I know Tanner like the area he got he, he guided a client got a really nice ram this this fall. I mean, they got a the one I'm thinking of is a very tough walk-in area to hunt. Um, oh, yeah, it's yeah. terrible down there. Yeah, and uh, anyway, so like, you know, they're really funny guys. And me, sometimes they get a little carried away, <laughs> but uh, um, a lot of it's just funny if you take it for the humor. But there's a guy that uh, I think he was like the, uh, had on his page, you know, that he worked for Sitka Gear and stuff. And I've heard him on a couple podcasts. And granted, like, I don't want any of this to be like personal come across the wrong way is like just personal sling and mud even though sometimes you know everybody gets their impressions of people yeah but uh like you know scientist ecologist type guy and uh but works for sitka gear right so he apparently i see on tsd that, that you know he apparently buddied up with uh this guy who's like you know, I didn't research all this, so I'm just going off what I see, you know, as, and 
those guys like Tanner, the TSD guys, they they don't put stuff up like facts that aren't very well researched. So that's just kind of taking it at their word. But uh, um, the guys like this video he put up is with a guy that's like on the board for the Humane Society, supposedly, and supposedly started the GoFundMe um, and this whole like program, from what I understand, to help anti-hunters apply for the Wyoming grizzly tags. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. steal them away from hunters so that yep. so they couldn't, you know, so... Uh, so they could shoot them with their camera. So they can shoot them with their camera. So they do this video, and it's basically promoting gun control. And the screenshot is... Uh, is the you know them standing there <laughs> and somebody's comment was hilarious because it's like oh it looks like uh, Lloyd Lloyd Christmas after they make it to <laughs> to Aspen and dude spot on like I mean really that is that that's Lloyd Christmas right hey, who are these guys well the one guy um let's see the the guy who you know supposedly works for works for Sitka was Charles Post, and this other guy, what is his name? Um, the shoot him with the camera guy. I don't know, but you know that's kind of irrelevant. So, and they made you know they made a pretty good point, you know that. They're basically doing this pro-gun control thing, which they have their right to their opinion on gun control or whatever. And, and I'm kind of hopefully building this into, like, what what affects us and what pisses pisses you and me and, you know, a lot of us people up here in Alaska off. I'm trying to work towards that. and they But they put this, you know, pro-gun control video, and the, the screenshot is, you know, this thing where it says, in the last year there have been over 300 mass shootings, which... I think is kind of a uh, a bolstered statistic. Hmm. I won't get into that because I don't. I haven't. I'm not well researched enough on it to comment. But anyway, got a ton of backlash. Obviously, um, you know this guy in, in a very influential position with a major hunting company. You know, and you could you could go. What am I trying to say, man? Um, you can go either way on your, you know, he's, if he has a more liberal view on gun control and all that, that doesn't mean he can't work for a hunting company, but, uh, it, I mean, it rubs me the wrong way. And a lot of guys that he's like buddying up publicly and getting these very influential statements out that are widespread with, you know, he supposedly works for a, a pro hunt, a strongly pro hunting company, and he's buddying up with a guy that, you know, is directly working for anti-hunting, anti-hunting interests. You know, I don't know the guy, so that this is all kind of just appearances and how it looks. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are not happy about that. And then, of course, the video, he took the video down and the, the part where it shows he worked for Sitka Gear. Um, disappeared huh and the anyway what bugs me i had heard him and i, I guess i can see because all the people that are pissed off they feel like he's kind of stepping out of bounds as far as you know using his influence to work against our interests 
you know, as whether it's gun owners or whatever. But what irritated me, the first thing that kind of like raised a red flag was uh, um, he was on some podcast and he's, you know, ecologist, whatever, talking about that ballot measure one that we had this fall, yep. which was the Stanford, they called it Stanford salmon. Oh, well, yep. man, I love salmon. Like I want to oh. see him protected. I love salmon so, too. You know, uh, it said uh, the the whole thing. It, it's very devious. It's set up to where, oh, you're not standing for salmon if you if you don't want to vote for this. That it's implied that you don't value salmon or want to protect them. Um, and <clears throat> I didn't get super into some of the specifics of it, but. A lot of it, from what I understand, wasn't going to do very much at all as a background kind of on this this ballot measure. But one thing, there was language in that ballot initiative that would basically leave access to a ton a ton of land up here for hunting and fishing. Um, leave the access to to all that land up to the swipe of a pen or you know, a very few people making the decision whether or not they were going to allow it. Uh, Because basically that language would let them classify anywhere as salmon habitat, from what I understand. So it was pretty, you know, and I don't think it really would have done that much to to help the salmon. The the state of Alaska does a pretty darn good job of taking care of its fish. Yeah, and, you know, there are some some issues in some places for sure, you know, with, with lower returns lately, but you know, I'm not a fisheries biologist. I don't think this freaking dude is, is either, but he's on this podcast, you know, he, he doesn't live up here and talking about how he was helping to push this agenda. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I, me and a lot of people, hardly anything pisses me off in that aspect more than some dude who doesn't have any skin in the game who went to college in freaking California or some shit trying to tell us what's best for us, how we should vote, you know, and sometimes it's like, a um, whether it's an ego thing, like, oh, well, I'm more, you know, I know better than you or, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I have a big problem with is when, is when, uh, people start, People start managing wildlife based on emotion and opinion and public mm-hmm. sentiment as opposed to good science. And when you depart from scientific management of wildlife resources, you start running into major problems. Yeah. You know, like but an example of that is the, um, um, in British Columbia, they voted against grizzly bear hunting. Yep. When all the biologists and everything were like, no, this is... Yeah. <laughs> this or, is a completely renewable, maintainable... Yeah, or or in, in California where you can't hunt... Uh, California and Oregon where you cannot hunt cougars with dogs. People are still killing cougars with dogs. It's just the government doing it's it. It's the government is paying someone to go out and kill cougars with dogs as opposed to letting hunters pay to buy a license and a permit and go out and hunt cougars with dogs. The end result. I think a lot of people are so short-sighted. They don't real, you know, 
They can't think through that, hey, you're not going to stop this. You're just going to change who's doing it. Well, it, it's a resource that shares the environment with us, which means that it has to be managed in some way. And when you have large predators that are living next door, you know, if, if you don't manage the resource, they're going to start eating your pets. They're yeah. going to start eating people. Yeah. They're going to, and it's, I, I don't know. I, and I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist, but I've spent a lot of time in the field and I've seen a lot of grizzly bears in the field. And most of those grizzly bears have a very healthy respect for us. And I think it's because they're actively hunted every year. Yeah. It's uh whereas down in, in the lower 48, it seems like there's a, a much higher uh, amount of maulings and, and bad bear encounters. Well, you know, like a lot of the, you know, Anchorage every year, someone's getting chewed up down there. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of those area, immediate areas where those bears live with people, you can't hunt them. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, granted, when you have more people around more bears, your incidence percentage is going to be higher. So it's not like I can directly correlate this is why, but, um, you know, areas where urban areas, areas where bears, even black bears aren't getting shot at. Yeah. You know, there, you have more of an issue with them getting into, getting into stuff and, and, kind of more more conflict i guess you'd say but um yeah it just oh just chaps my ass you know the guy he can even have his opinion on it but but how fucking dare some dude that has no skin in the game calls himself a scientist you know down in bozeman or wherever like you know get on and and try to force an issue on us Without, you know, I, I b- believe probably without even fully understanding. And, and even if he did understand, oh, well, there may be these restrictions, why would he freaking care? He, he doesn't have any skin in the game. Yeah. He's not, you know, he's not one of the, one of us who's using this land and kind of depend, you know, in a lot of ways depend on it. Um, you know, it's ours. It's, it, it just it kind of everybody's yeah. collectively, obviously, but, um, you know, there's kind of a different degree of ownership when we're the ones using it and making decisions. And there's people up here that voted for it and, you know, you got to vote your conscience, but, uh, a lot of people don't even know what's in it. No, it's, it's, it's kind of the, the, if you want to call it the genius of the thing is (laughs) you call it stand for salmon, anyone who votes against it. Even I'm like, man, do I really want to vote against this? Cause I'm not standing for salmon. Yeah. That's <laughs> just the impulse. I mean, it's a marketing thing, but the other thing, you know, and you know, this guy, my other gripe is, you know, looking at his story and I see, uh, let's see where it is. If I pull it up on my phone on, you know, these little like Insta story things you can save on your page. No drilling, no drilling. AK. Have you ever heard of the Arctic refuge? been long considered america's last wild frontier oh scenic picture but last year congress some oh he's here's someone hiking on a mountain with skis up here's a tent on a mountain um you know basically blah 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 protect our winners doesn't think we should exploit our public limits for fossil fuel um so basically this is a um propaganda type post to influence people against 
um, drilling for oil in Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, which has been a deal. All right, these mountains, you know, where they're taught, has this freaking dude ever even been up there? Seen Prudhoe Bay? You go through Prudhoe Bay, I've seen giant, you know, herds of caribou running right through. I, I, I'm trying to figure out where to even freaking start. With this little shit, he's telling me to calm down. No, no, no. I um, I, I want to interject. Because okay, we were interject. Just talking about interject. Stand for salmon. Interject. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting on a whole new topic. We can and and we're talking and we're also talking about Anwar, which was yeah. just opened up for uh, exploration. Um, you know what's fascinating is that a good friend of mine who was sheep hunting on the north side of the Brooks Range this year, yeah, found a run of chum salmon discovered a run of chum salmon in the Ribdon river that fishing game didn't even know about. Huh. So there's, and, and so the, the Ribdon runs into the sag, yep. the sag runs parallel to the pipeline and the hall road all the way up to Prudhoe Bay and dead horse. And is, uh, and there are new runs of salmon that have strayed their way into that river system. And so, it it goes to show you that the state does a good job of taking care of its resources and the, the private companies that are up there operating have done a good job of keeping that place clean. And it's... They've know, done it's, a very good job of keeping that place you know, it's, clean. It's the exact opposite of what uh, the earth muffins would want you to believe. Well, I, I would say it's even cleaner than... Because when they... You know, I want to say when they discovered oil up there, it was seeping out of the ground. Yeah. You know, like tar pit yeah. kind of thing is what led to the oil discovery up there. Mm-hmm. So really it's probably cleaner. You know, when they were building the pipeline, there was all this freaking out cause they figured, all right, what's going to, you know, this is going to cut off the caribou migration and they built sections where the pipeline goes under the ground specifically for caribou to cross, you know, and maybe, all right, maybe that herd piles up. Then one of them, one of them, crosses underneath that thing and all the rest of them follow and shit even the gravel like drilling pads and you know i'm not a big time like prudhoe bay expert but i've been up there and i know a lot of guys that work up there um a lot of those gravel pads you'll see them the care will be huddled on those gravel pads to get away from the bugs in the summer yeah or they like to stand underneath the pipeline in the shade yep um so but well needless to say um so, yeah, I, I noticed that, like, you know, no drilling Anwar. Like, the dude doesn't, ha- doesn't have a clue. A lot, and in fact, a lot of, you know, my little sister's a petroleum engineer, and a lot of the stuff they were wanting to do in Anwar, they didn't even need to put wellheads on Anwar. They can drill, a tre- like, tremendous a distance horizontally underground huh. to tap into some of that stuff. Like, they're capable of a lot in the impact really is pretty minimal but are you fucking kidding me like he has pictures of all these mountains you can't even see the freaking mountains from where they're drilling uh-uh. you just you, see it looks cl- like it's flatter than kansas out there you just see clouds of mosquitoes yeah pretty much i mean and some person like hiking up a mountain and skis they were not up in the north brooks range hiking it, around it's false, doing it's, hiking skiing it's, it's bullshit false, it's false advertising you know and if you want to you know you you want to have an opinion, be entitled to it, um, you know, whatever. But when you use your influence, and you don't even have any skin in the game, use your influence to uh, 
try and push and direct shit that directly affects us, that pisses me off. Yeah, no, I'm I take offense to that. You know, trying to inf- you know, like look at that and tell me what he's informing people. It's just complete bullshit propaganda. Yeah. And yep. sorry, I'm getting a little fired up here more than I more than I normally would. Um it, I just have to point out the irony. I think this is uh everybody's wearing North Face and Mountain Hardware, which is all made out of petroleum products. Yeah. <laughs> It is it is very true, man. Um and so are their skis. Yeah, and and that's kind of the other the other thing that has I've been you know, what do you want to call it? Trust me, I don't get too uh philosophical. You're getting pretty preachy today, <laughs> I am getting a little preachy. I try not to ever get too philosophical, but um you know, dudes like that that are in a place and I'm, you know, arguably, I guess in a place of influence too. So, you know, whether we like it or not, like that dude to a lot of people represents us. If he's coming to, you know, he's works for a hunting company, like from his content looks like he's, you know, participates, although I've never seen a freaking dead animal and some people out there don't look like there's a killing bone in their body. But that that doesn't mean that Maybe different people don't have a place at the table. He's a, he's a, he's a true conservationist. He's a really bad hunter. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> my uh, my uncle always give me shit anytime I'd come back without something. Oh, you're you're being a conservationist. <laughs> yeah. Or, I, but um, what and what I was getting is so to certain pe- you know to certain people I represent. I'm sure people that don't agree with me so it, it it does kind of go both ways and you know i put stuff out there i better be ready to stand behind it yeah right you know right wrong and i i try to be have an open enough mind to know that you know i'm i'm not always going to be right and maybe this maybe this dude's like that too i don't know um but things like that and being yeah it just uh I don't like feel, and I don't think anybody likes feeling horribly misrepresented. You know what yeah. I mean? So it, on one hand, it's like, yeah, you know, don't go hang the guy from the nearest tree. But at the other time, it's like, yeah, I think like there's some righteous indignation. Well, indignation is the right word. Is there's yeah? I mean, it's it's not unreasonable to be frustrated over over that sort you know, of thing. It's not like, you know, like some of the messages I get, oh, you know, like threatening violence and going to come murder your family and stuff like that or hope you die and hope you get eaten by a bear type of thing. We're not talking about any of that. It's like, you know, no, we're taking issue with this specific thing because it's bullshit. Yeah. Is is the way I'm, I try to look at it. Yeah, I know everybody's entitled to their opinion, but I take offense to people falsely representing facts. And especially outside interests trying to affect yeah. legislation within our state. Yeah, and that's that's a big deal. Kind of on a smaller and um and on a, it's a different subject, but kind of on the same mind mindset. You know, last was the last week, whatever. Got to see that that new Donnie Vincent film, and and I again, I don't want any of this to like come across as like a per- personal or 
Hey, you're on a roll. You well, want to, you want to start talking about bad taxidermy and poachers too? No, we'll <laughs> we'll leave that <laughs> we'll leave that out. Um, but you know, got to see that film and and I don't know. For me, it was there were some things I really appreciated it and thought like the dude's cinematography is phenomenal. No, I've, I've Top seen notch. some of the stuff he's done and it's beautiful. It is, and you know, some of the things like. He tells the story of some things very well, like um, on this, you know, the, the grizzly bear hunt portion of it out by Unalakleet. They did a very good job of just capturing how freaking bad the mosquitoes can be. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of good, very telling shots, because it's, it's something that you can't explain to someone how bad they can be. Were they, was it spring hunt? Spring, yeah. So oh, yeah. they're, you know, they're hunting all night is what they're doing. Is those bears are up at night. They're, they're hiking these ridge lines and it looked like, and yeah. glass and whatnot. And just the mosquitoes are just awful. You can't get away from them. Driving. You got to dress up like a beekeeper. Yeah, pretty much. I, I made the mistake of going up to the slope on, uh, on August 1st for the caribou opener. Yeah. I'll never do that again. That's just dumb. Yeah. I had to work. Well, I ran in your buddy. Frank up there, he didn't have a head net. He was getting eaten alive. <laughs> but, uh, or, uh, no, not Frank, John. John, I yeah, ran into yeah. John up there. I think that was before, yeah, John, I think that was before he ran out of arrows. Was that, because John, John shot that caribou and it swam across and died on an island. And then some And other, what, he, he went to go, because there were some other guys with a raft or something and they wouldn't lend it to him to go get it. Yeah. And then he went to go meet up with you and get a raft so he could go get his caribou. Yeah. And when he got back, those other guys had stolen it. They had dressed his caribou and paddled <laughs> it, it in back. Their truck. They were bringing it back across the river. He's like, thanks for bringing my caribou back, guys, but you got to give that to me. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. But, uh, so that, that part was, was really cool. You know, and there was a lot of spots throughout that I'm like, yeah, no, that's really cool. In trying to, you know, and I understand like a lot of, he has a very strong voice with non hunters. Yeah. And, and that is an extremely important thing, you know, to, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more rough around the edges than some guys are. And I do still believe it's, it's important to portray hunting in a good light and do good for hunting. Now, what that exactly looks like, my opinion may be different than other people's. It, it, Donnie Vincent may be a little bit more palatable than Tyler Friel to some. Oh, I think so. Some people that are <laughs> not, uh, maybe not as, as accustomed to the lifestyle, but they, he does. And he, he, yeah, he's a hell of a hunter and hell of an archer. Yeah. And they make great videos. Well, the, 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 the archer. We'll just we'll just let let that be. Let people watch and make up their own minds. Um, everyone can make really bad shots, including myself. Yeah. So that's uh, so why I got aim for the middle. Aim for the middle. <laughs> so um, yeah. So that's yeah. So that there was stuff. It wasn't like I'm just like oh man, this thing was terrible and and all that. Like there was some things I really liked about it and appreciated. There wasn't anything I hate. There wasn't anything I like, man, this is terrible. Like it was a little disappointing just it through my lens and what I want to see in a hunting film left me a little disappointed. Other people, you know, may just be mesmerized. And a lot of it was Alaska and the just being guys that do that kind of stuff all the time. 
it's it's well, like okay, you know, like so let's get to the action. What, what's the deal? He missed twice with his bow, and then his guide smokes the bear. Yeah, at like five yards. So he's got a great guide. He didn't yeah, get eaten. He didn't get eaten. Yeah, yeah, that was and so like felt bad. And you want you got to give credit where it's due. How he, about that? He had a great guide. He had a great guide, and and I like commend him for putting that in there. Because there's a lot of guys in this industry that would not put it in, that would not share that they had an epic choke. You yeah. Know, everyone's susceptible to an epic choke. I had one. I had one this year. I, I mean, it was it was brief, but I choked on that grizzly bear at 400 yards. I yeah. couldn't put it together. Yeah. But uh, hadn't had my cup of coffee yet that morning. Though. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. But um, there was the only thing that gave me like some funny thoughts, and this all plays back into you know, this person's representing us, you know, I, with my contact, represent people, represent some people, whether they like it or not. And I try to do my best and I'm sure he does too, but there were some things that like didn't make sense. You know, obviously you want to explain to non-hunters that generally we're after like old boars or mature boars. Yeah. You know, he, you know, really stressed the old boars, like end of life. Which, for being honest, like you or me generally probably couldn't tell the difference on the hoof of a, uh, like, five, six-year-old boar or a 15-year-old boar a lot in a lot of cases. Probably not. There's a few guys out there that are good. Sometimes, and it also depends on the bear, too, but you really push this, and the blackberry shot was a nice bear, but, you know, and they, of course, you know, show, you're looking at the teeth and stuff, and they're... Some of the middle incisors are ground down, but even that's not really an indication. It can be, but unless you, you tooth a like you extract a tooth and age that thing, um, one of these grizzly bears up here is missing just the, the top incisors like that are just half of them are gone. All it was all abscessed, nasty. Yeah. Um in that coastal environment they're getting a lot of sand in their food too. So you know everyone like uses what the teeth look like as a reference, but it's not really accurate unless you you're, tooth you're, age them. you're aging them. Um, how old was it? That one was four. The one with all the messed up teeth, my oh, bear no, that it. I'd never even got to age back. The, the big, that huge grizzly I killed, you know, that's all, all the fissures are sealed up. It's an old bear. His teeth yeah. are in perfect shape. No kidding. But, uh, yeah, so that was a little funky. And there's just some things where if you know, if you've been doing it a lot, you know a lot of it was set up for the camera. It's like yeah. almost like acting, not really. And maybe that's just my taste. Like, I want to see hunting. Well, that's the problem. Maybe I'm, yeah, maybe I'm just the problem. <laughs> no, no. I mean, how many cameramen do you know that could go out and hang and do the stuff that you're doing? I mean, there's a few of them out well, there. Well, I, I think that you either to get in... To get that high level of cinematography, you can't be hunting as hard. Like, there's just no way the amount of work it takes to get that in time and dedication to get that. And I don't want to, like I said, I I don't want to knock the guy or take away from the amount of work he put into that and his crew and guys put into that. But it's, for me personally, it's like I see a lot of cool shots and transitions and creative stuff, but I'm like, like really is, are, are you actually camping there? Or was that like set up for the, 
for the camera for these shots. Like there's things that just are out of place, don't make sense maybe. And maybe I'm just completely wrong. It's just kind of the, the feeling I get from the things I'm observing. Um, and you know, like that grizzly bear, my first thought when that thing's head popped around the bush at five yards, I'm like, Oh shit, that ain't an old boar Like we've been talking about. Yeah. Which yeah, I, I, I don't I, even, I, I haven't seen it. I don't have a problem. It. I don't have a problem with anybody shooting a legal bear. I have zero issue. If you want to go shoot a young sow or a young boar, you know, there's, and it's in season, everything's, uh, everything's legit. Go for it. Just don't, you know, when you push and I, tr- you know, you got to be careful pushing any sort of narrative because there's going to be people that are going to expect you to hold to that. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't there, I don't, but just from what I could see. Just, tr- just try was, to keep the hypocrisy to a minimum. If you're going to yeah, preach that, that you, this is how you operate and then you, you don't stick to that. Yeah. And I'm not even going out there being like, oh, this guy's full of shit type of deal. Like, but for the back to representing people, you know, people that have never done that stuff kind of stuff before. They don't know the difference, man. Like it's, it's all like just awe inspiring and cause it is very cool stuff. It's like mesmerizing, well, but, but they don't see a lot of these details that are in inconsistencies and that, that just kind of, it, it's not like the issue I'm taking with some of the things this Charles Post dude had said, like, I'm not fired up about it, but I've been thinking about it since I've seen it. And why do some of those things bug me? Because even if it's even if it's one percent of the people that see that that know like yeah like no you're not really sticking to this old bore thing like then your argument loses its validity yeah you know what I mean say so if you're, if it, if you're we're only yourself. if we're only after old bores and that's the message you give to non hunters what happens when they find out that that's not really how it is. Yeah, when you're when you're claiming, let's say if you're claiming that you're only going to shoot old old rams, then you go shoot a seven year old full curl. You're kind of you're kind of making. Or when you say you're not shooting anything under forty, and you shoot a thirty eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't. I I try not to take it too seriously. Oh no, you you can't. You, you can't. know, because it in the end, like a lot of it, you know, you just do the best you can do and everybody well most people are i think just trying to do that well i'm i'm shooting food most of the time most of and the time. and i appreciate the adventure and the yeah. challenge and the excitement but i'm shooting food so if if it's any legal rams a trophy in in my book other people who may have have hunted more sheep they can disagree with me. That's fine. That's our it's opinion. Like, well, it's like but, some of the guys that'll criticize guys for shooting an eight-year-old ram mm-hmm. or a seven-year-old ram that's over full curl. Oh, you should all, you know, it's like, dude, it's, it's still, you know, they have studied this. It's still not, oh, yeah. it's not hurting the population nope. to take, you know, this animal of that designated legal status. Like if it's going to be severely negative, if, negatively affecting the population it's not legal typically yeah. you know unless it's a major screw up it that that's just you know that's why things are set like that and uh i guess the only other thing i would add to that and 
you know, the whole like getting so caught up in a narrative and message. If you, you know, especially when you're dealing with people like anti-hunters and, you know, I'm not the best guy at coming up with all these eloquent arguments like he, like Donnie Vincent or any number of these guys are better at that, at articulating that than me. But when you leave holes, man, eventually there, somebody's going to find out. And then it's your argument has no validity. It's like, like the guys, all the whole people and not a ton of people do this, but the whole, Oh, I'm just a meat hunter. That's the only reason I hunt. That's a lie. You know, there's very, there are some probably that the only reason they ever go tighten a trigger is for food. And that's it. They don't, they don't derive any enjoyment out of it, but that's a teeny tiny percentage. And, um, so this, you get, so you can get so tied into this narrative because that's what work is what's working. Well, oh, well, I, if I tell people I'm only shooting these kind of bears because, you know, and yeah, like we want to target mature boars. I'd say just mature boars, adult boars, because, you know, it is absolutely true that they will go and, and just pillage and cannibalize their, their own cubs and all oh, that yeah. stuff. All that stuff's true. But when you, you start slipping in to make it sound a little bit better, like, oh, the old mature boar, they're the old boars at the end of their life, you know, 18 year old, you know, 16, 18 year old, like you have no idea. So that's when you, you take a good solid foundational argument and stretch it a little too far. Yeah. Like at the end of the, at the end of the show, he was there and he, they were doing this raffle, you know, raffling off items and stuff. And I mean, it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool guys there. Um, but, uh, and one of the items was a uh, set of Pope and Young books. Okay. And the guy, you know, kind of saying what each item was before the drawing, you know, Pope and Young, you know, North American bow hunting record books. And Donnie kind of stood up and, and said, you know, as best, this is best I can remember what he said. You know, it's not, it's, it's, it's about the age class and, and old mature animals. It's not about the size. And I'm like, dude, that's a complete lie. It's full of, sh- like, that's, that's not true. Like the record book is absolutely about the size. Now it just so happens that a lot of times or most of the time, those big, you know, record class animals that we, you know, honor and remember by, by submitting them to a record book like that to be, to be, um, kind of immortalized in that way. Um, that's, and that's, is a way like we show respect to some of these animals yeah. in our own minds, if anything else, if nothing else. Um, but it's about like, it's the measurement doesn't say anything about how old they are. It's how big they are. Yep. So it's just, that's just kind of another thing that was like, and I'm not bashing the guy, but I'm like, yeah, it's like, dude, like you're, I just see it as setting, setting yourself up or, shooting holes in your arg- your own argument and most people a lot of times are never going never going to register anything like that but man was was he on here with his compound bow or with the trad bow his compound bow um i guess he was uh he i'd heard that he's wanting to wanting to learn to to shoot a recurve which i think that's that's awesome you know he's going to know you know it's going to be a lot of work for anybody starting starting fresh like that but it's, you know, I wish him the best of success with it. It's, you know, it's only going to be good for our, 
us for everybody if he succeeds at it. You know, if I bump into him at the sheep show, I'll uh, I'll have to give him your phone number. Maybe you can give him some pointers. Oh, I think he was going to go talk to Tom, who I because I was just leaving um, Tom Clum down there that okay. on the last podcast, yep. and he was going to go, and he could not go to a better guy to learn how to do it. And shit, I'm a little jealous because you know, yeah, he's shot a, he's shot a compound for a long time, but he's starting from scratch with a recurve and with Tom, you know that doing it right starting from scratch is the best way you can do it because you don't have any bad recurve habits you got to break you know my habits that i've had for years i'm always going to have to fight to stay to keep my nose above water so to speak to you know to keep the new habits as the dominant ones yeah because it's it's crazy how the brain works it always goes back to what's easiest and what is most ingrained so i'm I'm left eye dominant. I'm yeah. left handed. I shoot a I I shoot a rifle and a shotgun left handed. Yeah. When I started shooting a bow, there were so few options for left handed or southpaw bows. Oh, you started shooting right handed. I just I said piss on it. I've had such a hard time finding quality rifles and left handed when I was a kid. So I just I picked up a right handed bow. Yeah. And learned, and uh, I just have to force to force myself to close my eye, and I. I've caught myself before in, uh, in, uh, in developing situations when there was a lot going on, trying to look through my peep with the wrong eye, oh, trying yeah. to look through the peep see, with my dominant see, eye, and even though, myself and because, my you, dominant because eye. you've taught yourself that and you've, you've learned that, um, wow, I had something really good there that I was just, it was just going to flow smooth like butter in my mind but uh i guess what i was going to say is with good you know being left eye down and you've learned to shoot kind of the opposite of how you're wired you know with someone that knew what they were doing helping you it uh i bet you could learn to shoot really well left-handed it would feel awkward as shit at first but um Oh, with a to shoot trad a bow? bow or a trad bow or a compound, you know, whatever, you know, were you talking about shooting, you know, looking through your peep with yeah. the wrong eye, you know, I bet you could, it would be awkward and feel super weird at first, but being left-handed and left-eye dominant, um, I think you, you know, it's, it would be like starting from scratch because it's, you switching hands, it's a whole different, everything's, it's like you're st- you know, learning how to walk again. Oh yeah. But I, I bet, you know, with some good, like good coaching instruction, you could, you could be better than you are right-handed. Then you wouldn't be fighting that impulse, you know, subconscious be, impulse to look with, with your dominant eye. Yeah. I'd be learning from scratch. I don't know. That's interesting. Well, that is funny. You wonder how many guys, it. you wonder how many guys shoot, you know, shoot, you know, opposite, opposite of how they're wired on wherever it is just because that's how their dad taught them or but, you know people didn't they didn't realize some of that like eye dominance stuff at the time or well at this point i don't want to switch because if i get a left-handed bow and i have to learn to shoot left-handed then i won't have an excuse for why i'm such a shitty archer <laughs> oh man i don't know what to tell you there man 
Practice, practice, practice. Shooting service, shooting service rifle. Those old guys, they all, every match, you know, would go kind of the same type of thing, similar to like a bow, an archery club or something. You got you know old guys and said, "Oh, you don't, you don't have to shoot good. You just have to have a good excuse ready." <laughs> so some of the guys would show up. Said, you know, first thing before the first round goes down range, up. Oh, I've already got my excuse. <laughs> yeah. So that that was a funny one, but. Yeah, man, that was a long time ago, shooting service rifle. Hey, did you, uh, did I show you a picture of that mule deer I got in, uh, when I was down in Nebraska? Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Um, I did see it. I think I saw it on, on Facebook or Instagram or both or something like that, but that, that looked like an awesome deer. It was a hoot. It was a yeah, really it good. Like it, yeah. Like a nice, it, it looked like a nice, you know, post, like, it's almost like a post real hunting season, like a gentleman's. Hunt, it was like one, a leisure hunt. <laughs> it was one of the friendliest hunts I've ever been on. It uh, you're around this fifty thousand acre ranch in Nebraska in the Sand Hills, which is kind of in a way it reminded me a lot of the North Slope, like just north of just north of the Brooks in those where big, it's a little rolling, yeah, yeah. rolling hills. It yeah. was like that, except for you could you could drive on a lot of it, and there's cattle out there in places, yeah. but. You just go drive up on top of one of these hills or through one of the valleys and glass up some bucks and go put a stock on them, see if they're big enough. And Every time I go down to the States, it always blows me away. Like, you can walk basically anywhere. And you can drive a truck <laughs> You can drive places. a truck. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. You know, there's, this is like solid the ground. ground. The ground's hard. Yeah. Yeah, the ground's hard. There's no alders. There's no devil's club. There's, uh, there's no hordes of mosquitoes that are trying to carry you away yeah. there there's some places that, yeah. that have their challenges but yeah. just in general like a lot of places you go it's man there's hard dirt everywhere hey, this is pretty darn friendly yeah but yeah we um cruised around for a couple of days looked at a bunch of real nice bucks and came across a good one and and was able to yeah to harvest a great big delicious tasty four by four mule deer nice so, and it was just, it's cool to see, it's cool to go hunt with like-minded people in other places and yeah. to see how they do it. Yeah, because as, you know, as sometimes like territorial as we sound and get up here, like there's, like, I mean, I met, ran into several of them when I was down in Colorado, like there's, there are other people like us in a lot of places. Oh, yeah. You know, it's. You know, we are unique in our own way up here in our perspective, but yeah, you go to a lot of these places, it'll, birds of a feather tend to flock together and you can, you can usually find some, some pretty good, some pretty good folks in, in a lot of those places. Yeah, they're, they're, I had a great time, cool people, great hunting. I, I told my buddy Brandon, I said, hell, you know, I don't even care if I shoot a deer. I said, just don't let me shoot a small one. Yeah. <laughs> I said I, I would be I would be totally happy to just go out and and shoot coyotes the whole time we're down here, yeah. and uh, yeah, we found a great deer. Yeah, so was, yeah, that was, was a hell of a hunt. deer. But uh, yeah, I better probably better get get rolling here. I got a couple obligations this evening. Dad, some dad duty. Okay, you got. Rope them it, little monsters. It, who's watching the kids right now? The dog? My wife, yeah. No, oh. no, 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 no. <laughs> My wife, we don't have a dog. Oh. 
<laughs> I figured you just threw some Cheerios on the floor and came out to the garage. No, no. I'm a better dad than you, than than some people might think. Okay. I love those kids, but uh Yep, got the got the playpen set up with the the like rabbit water bottle things the that you know, put the put on rabbit cages. Yep. You know, they'll they just come up there little yep. sippy yep. sippy yep. straw things. Throw a side of smoked salmon in there. Let them gnaw on that. <laughs> no, they're both little savages. They love moose meat. Yeah, love it. So, I think they'll. Uh, I think they're going to be all right. Well, they'll probably big, be big enough to start carrying quarters just about the time that you're all old and broke down, right? I hope so. That's the plan. You know, I got to keep keep myself in decent enough shape to to. There will be a period where I got to carry everything, yeah. all my stuff and all their stuff. But uh, yeah, it'll be all right. Yeah, okay. the boy, he's he's a to. he's a savage. He anytime there's something to skin or something, he's got his little plastic plastic knife out there and some rubber gloves. <laughs> he right jumps on. right in. So that's cool. Not Teach too him about right. Him. Yep. Yeah, I I try to expose my kids to that as much as possible too. I'm the. Uh, they don't have to hunt. They don't have to like it. I just want them to know where their groceries come from. Yep. And uh, they think it's, they usually think it's pretty cool whenever I bring something home. They'll yep. be poking things in the eyeballs and sticking fingers in their noses. And, yeah. And they'll, <laughs> they, they really like sheep and caribou heart. Yep. And, uh, and they just, they, they aren't grossed out by it. They're just curious by it. And I think if, if you expose kids to this, sort of thing when they're young they don't get weirded out by it when they're when they're older yep i mean just it's yeah just there's a lot of people that are completely removed from yeah. that that like 90 percent of where their food comes from and i'll tell you what weirds me out is that like juicy meat tampon that's underneath the burger oh, meat yeah. at Ugh. the grocery store like <laughs> yeah. store meat I'm I'm still a little uneasy about. I like to know where my food comes from, at least as much as I can. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to hop, hop off here. I'll show you my bandsaw real quick. I've been I've been bragging about that thing oh, for months. The, the butcher boy, the butcher boy. You yep. could take some fingers right off with that oh, thing. Quick. Yeah. Uh. Well, this is is this it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. You got you got any any parting? thoughts or comments <laughs> kind of yeah, i'm not copying anybody doing that my my psa announcement would be to make sure that your taxidermist is not also a poacher <laughs> shit all right everybody uh we'll leave it we'll let brett have the last word on that and uh if you uh have any questions or comments you know good hateful or otherwise you can email podcast at tundratalkak.com and i will send you brett's phone number nope, <laughs> right. nope not and, mine uh, also uh if uh if you want to leave can leave a review on itunes or whatever ever platform you listen on that would be awesome thanks and uh see you next time